today, I, uh, I, I'm going to take a risk. <laughs> I'm going to take a risk. And uh, I, I want to talk about something that, that none of you are going to want to talk about. I mean, it just is what it is. And you guys can confirm that through your response here. But I want to talk about taxes. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin... In the year 1789, which turns out happened to be a year before he ended up dying, but was shortly after he helped pen the Constitution of the United States of America. And he writes to a friend in France. He says, our new Constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. You know, one of the greatest reasons why the Americans separated off of England and, and, and British uh, rule was because of taxation without representation. And yet, as they formulated their new constitution and, and, and it set up how they wanted their government to work, even though it was such a big reason for why they departed away from England, they still understood that there would always be a need to have taxes. Amen? And so because right now we're in the middle of tax season, I decided that that would be the, the title of my lesson, Tax Season. And we're going to look at several different tax collectors in the Bible here. So turn with me to Luke chapter 5. I told you all, none of you guys are going to be fired up this morning. Everybody got all quiet, start talking about taxes. Those who've done their taxes and are getting a refund are fired up right now. Everybody else who either has not done their taxes or does not have a refund coming is not fired up at this topic at all. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. The Bible says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything. And followed him. You know, at this point, Jesus is still gathering his 12 disciples. And he's already, um, at this juncture, called Peter. He's called Andrew. He's called James. He's called John. But then he, he goes to this guy's tax collector booth by the name of Levi. Other gospels account, call him Matthew. So Matthew and Levi are the same guy. Matthew refers to himself as Matthew. And both Mark and Luke refer to Matthew as Levi. And, and Jesus approaches this tax collector. Now, tax collectors were not well-liked in, in our generation and in their generation. <laughs> and, and there was a lot of reasons for this. One of them being that, that tax collectors were Jewish by blood, but they worked on behalf of the Roman Empire. And so they would go to their own people and tax them and collect the taxes, but they would often demand more than what the government demanded from the people, and so they would pocket a little extra. And so they were seen as traitors that were working for the Roman government, but also as scoundrels who were, were saving and stealing money for themselves. And so here, here Jesus has got a collection of religious guys, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Peter and John and James and Andrew, but, but then he goes after this really worldly guy, Matthew. He, he wasn't a religious guy. And Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And the Bible records that Je or Levi got up, left everything, 
and followed Jesus. You know, so often when people study the Bible, one of the things that they say when they get to a certain point is they go, well, I just don't think I know enough to be a Christian. I just don't think I know enough to give my life to God. I don't think I know enough to be a disciple. I mean, after all, I don't know all there is to know in the Bible. You ever feel like that? And the truth is that even Levi right here could do it as a non-religious tax collector. Why? Because it's not about knowing everything there is to know in the scriptures. We're going to be learning the Bible for the rest of our lives. You know, I've been a disciple for over 22 years, and I'm still learning so much in the Bible. You relate to that? And so it's not about what you know. It's about obeying what you already know. And when you obey what you already know and choose to leave everything and follow Jesus, then God can work the miracle of salvation in your life. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I relate to Levi. You see, for me, I grew up going to church, and I was a part of a religious family, but I was not living a religious lifestyle at all. I was in sports. I was partying. I was sleeping around. I was doing all kinds of different things. And I, I, when I got to my high school uh, years, wanted to change, but I, I kept on trying to change, and it would never work. You ever been there where you're, you're trying to stop certain things in your life and you just can't seem to do it? On top of that, I grew up going to church, and all of those that were religious were doing the same things that I was doing. In fact, they were going to the same parties that I was going to. And so in my rationale and in my thinking, I started to believe that, yes, the Bible is true. Yes, God is real, but one cannot actually follow the Bible. Because, first of all, I've tried, and I can't do it. And all those religious people that I see going to church, they're all doing the same things as me, and so they can't do it either. And so, hey, at the end of the day, the Bible's true, but nobody can live it out. I've never seen anybody live it out. Well, that was true until about August 2021. You see, I am uh, I'm part of a, a household that has four siblings, and so my older brother's a year and a half older than me. And if you were to ask me, you know, whether or not I was living for God and, and a righteous person, I would say absolutely not. But I would say that my brother was far worse than I was. You with me on that? I mean, I was partying all the time. I was doing a lot of wicked and sinful things. But he was, like, way beyond where I was at. I mean, I was, like, not a Christian, not living for God. But he was, like, the son of the devil. He was the devil's child on earth. And so I kind of felt a little bit better about myself because at least I wasn't that bad. You with me? Well, it was one summer, and he had come home for the summer, and we were, we were getting ready to have lunch, and so I made myself a sandwich, and he made himself a sandwich, and we, we sat down. And just before I'm about to take a bite of my sandwich, I, I look up, and I see him praying over his food. Like, what the heck is happening right now? Just, what are you doing? And so I literally stared at him. Well, he prayed. He has eyes are closed. Oh, Father God, thank you so much. I'm just across the table from him, just staring. I couldn't even eat my sandwich. He's just holding it. What's he doing? He's just holding it. And, he, and he gets up from his prayer, and he sees me looking at him with my sandwich, just <laughs> holding it right there. And he goes, well, I, I guess you're, you're wondering why I'm praying. I go, absolutely. <laughs> what is going on? And he goes, well, actually, I've been meaning to talk to you. Uh, I've been studying the Bible with this great group of guys, and they've been showing me what God's word is all about, and I, I really want to become a Christian. I want to become a disciple. In fact, tomorrow I'm getting baptized. And I wanted to see if you wanted to come. 
I was like, absolutely, I got to see this. I mean, I, I could not believe my eyes. I could not believe that this guy who was the son of Satan sitting across the table from me was getting baptized. And I was sure that there was some kind of, of worldly, wicked angle that he was trying to work. Like, okay, who's the girl at church? All right, who are you? What are you trying? Are you trying to steal the contribution at church? Like, what's going on right here? So I wanted to go because I wanted to see whether or not he was real, real. It was really true that he was really giving his life to God. Because remember, I didn't really believe that someone could follow God. Yes, the Bible is true. Yes, God is real. But nobody can actually live it out. Well, much to my surprise, I went to church that Sunday. And uh, my experience was probably similar to how some of your experiences are here this morning. I mean, I'd never seen people act like the people I saw at church that morning. I mean, the song leader was up front. He had a big vein popping out of his forehead. He was just leading the songs like, with all his heart. I had like 20 people ask me to study the Bible. I'm like, dude, what is with you guys? Like, you guys are all about the Bible. People trying to give me hugs? Guys, grown men trying to give me hugs? I was like, whoa, I don't know about that. I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like that. You with me? Well, he went ahead and got baptized, and then for two weeks, I watched his life. Like, is he really going to do it? Is, he, is this really true? Did he really change? And much to my surprise, I mean, he really changed. He was waking up early in the mornings and, and having quiet times, reading his Bible and praying. He was involved in Bible studies. It turned out that he had broken up with his worldly girlfriend and had moved back home because he wanted to be separate from that relationship. And, and then all of a sudden, he was nice. I couldn't figure that out. He was nice. He wasn't nice before. But all of a sudden, he's acting nice. He's treating me nicely. I go, wow, this is real. Well, two weeks later, I was riding in the car with him, and uh, it kind of hit me. You see, I didn't believe somebody could become a Christian and really live out the Bible, but he was worse than me, and he was doing it. So then it hit me, well, it, he can do it then that means that, and he's worse than me, that means that I can do it. So I was in the car with him, and I said, hey, hey Kyle, that's my, my brother's name. I said, hey, um, you know those Bible studies that you were talking about? He goes, yeah. I go, can you uh, perhaps do one of those studies with me? And he was trying to play it cool, so he goes, well. <laughs> we could probably work something out for you. <laughs> I studied the Bible, and two weeks later, I became a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I've never looked back. You with me on that? You see, I believe Levi was the same way. He was a worldly guy who grew up around a lot of religious people. Let's keep, let's keep reading right here and see what happens. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, those religious people, and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. My first point this morning is collecting the sick, collecting the sick. You know, right here, Jesus, Jesus goes and hangs out with Levi after his baptism. As I imagine that some of us will go and hang out with those that are getting baptized today. You with me? I mean, it was a time of celebration. It was a party. 
Levi was fired up to find God. And so there Jesus is. He's just hanging out, having some food. And the religious people come along. Who does this guy think he is? Look at him hanging out with all those wicked sinners. Now, I, I want to make sure this is very clear. Jesus was hanging out with sinners. He wasn't hanging out while sinning. You with me? I know sometimes we think that, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go to the clubs with my friends because, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners. You know, they're sinning, so I'm just going to go hang out with them, right? i got to live up on the sinners. No, no, Jesus was not sinning right here. He was just in the presence of sinful people. And here's the fact. The Pharisees were no less sinful than, than right here than, than Levi or Matthew was. And yet, because they thought of themselves as being healthy, Jesus goes, well, hey, why, why, do you, why do you care? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You know, sadly, today, there are so many people that think they're, quote, healthy spiritually but in reality are very sick. You know, there are millions of people on earth who think that they're all good with God because when they were babies, their parents had the faith to put them in baptism waters. In fact, it wasn't even actually baptism because the word baptism means to be immersed, and usually it's just a little sprinkle. And somehow that little sprinkle has negated the responsibility of really following God and living out the scriptures in their lives because it happened when they were a little baby. Millions of people think they're healthy, and therefore they don't need Jesus. They don't need to follow God's word. They don't need to become disciples. Sadly, there are millions of people who believe that because they said a prayer one time in their entire life and invited Jesus to come into their heart after a church service when the preacher was up there strumming the guitar and said, hey, if you want to be saved, repeat after me. They think because they said those magical words, they're healthy, and therefore they don't need Jesus. They don't need God's people. They don't need the Bible. They don't need to repent. And here Levi was having a party because he understood that he was sick. And it's only when you understand that you're sick that you can understand that you need a doctor. And when you understand that you need a doctor, it's only then that you can be healed and you can be saved. You know, I, I'm so grateful for the four that are come to, have come to get baptized today. Cornelius, Sia, Angela, and Kadisha, amen. You know, all four of them are not people that grew up outside of religion. They grew up in religious families, in religious households, in a religious environment. And yet they had the humility to understand, no, I'm not healthy this morning. I'm sick. And I need a savior. Do we have that humility? The humility of Matthew, the humility of Luke. That's why some of us don't appreciate church. You, you think you're too healthy for church. I can do it without those people. I don't need no discipling in my life. I don't need anybody ask me how I'm doing or ask me if I'm having any quiet times or ask me if I'm sharing my faith. I don't need nobody. I'm healthy. You know, some of us, we hate to go to the doctor. Do we not? Like when it comes to physical doctors, I'm with you right there. I hate going to the doctor. It's paying money for someone to tell you all the things you don't want to hear. Right? Like, oh, you're, you're fat. You're overweight. You have high cholesterol. Your blood pressure is too high. Thank you very much. How much do I owe you? It's not fun. Not fun. But when you realize that you need it, you need it to be healthy, then you surround yourself with people that are going to tell you the truth and are going to help you be 
holy and righteous in your life. And so Jesus came to collect the, the sick. Let's go to our second point. Jesus collected the sinful. Go to Luke chapter 18. You guys with me in this morning? Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Sorry, verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness. Now, that was, that's not necessarily that bad. Right? If you're walking with the Lord, you should be very confident. That, that's not the bad thing about this verse. So don't go, oh. Not yet. Let's keep reading. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, and here we go, look down on everyone else. Oh, here we go. See, if you're walking with the Lord, hey, feel great about it. But don't start thinking you're better than everybody else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm so glad I'm not a robber, an evildoer, an adulterer. I don't kill children. I'm a pretty good guy. Or even like this tax collector. See, I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. But all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woo! I mean, this is intense. Jesus is telling a story. This isn't something that happened. This is something that Jesus is sharing to make a point. And he goes, man, some of you guys, you're confident of your own righteousness. Hey, fair enough. But you've got an attitude that everybody else. You think you're better than people. See, we're, we're not like that here at the church. You want me on that? We understand that we're messed up. If you're joining us today, we're not, we're not trying to act like we've got it all together. Because I can assure you, once you get to know us, you'll find out the truth. We're a messed up group of people. You with me? We're messed up. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Now, here's the thing. I believe that we're a repentant church. So you didn't walk into a perfect church this morning, and so therefore you have good company because you're not perfect either. You walked into a group of people that understand that we need to repent and we need to change. And so therefore we're not better than anybody. We're just trying to help as many people as we can. And the Bible says that this, this religious guy, this Pharisee, was so confident of his righteousness. And here's the crazy thing. He was doing a lot of great things. In fact, the Bible says that he was fasting twice a week. Woo, that's, that's more hardcore than most of us. Fasting twice a week. And no, fasting overnight when you're sleeping does not count. I fast every day, bro, and I break fast on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. I mean, and it says, I, I give a tenth of all I get. I mean, he was faithfully tithing. He was giving his contribution every week. You remember that? I mean, that's convicting for disciples. 
Well, a Pharisee was doing it. Man, I got to do it. The Pharisees are doing it. Hey, we got to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I think that in many ways this can confuse people. Sometimes we can find people that are more morally righteous outside of the kingdom than even inside the kingdom. But we can find people that have a very moral life. And sometimes they live a more moral life than even Christians do. And it confuses us because we, we think that if they're more moral, then they should be saved. But, the, but then we realize that they're not a disciple. They're not a Christian. They're not saved. And it, and it rocks our world in some ways because we don't realize that you're not saved through a good moral life. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not saved because we're better. We're saved because we're forgiven. We're forgiven by God. And the Bible says it was the tax collector that went home justified, not the religious guy. You know, I'll never forget, there's a guy that uh, actually Kirk and I both know uh, in Orange County that had recently gotten married, and uh, my wife and I were discipling him and his wife. And I'll never, there was a deep time that we had where he was he's sharing about this fight that he and his wife had, and, and he looked at me, and he's just got this really confused, puzzled look on his face. And he goes, bro, I don't understand. I go, well, what don't you understand? He goes, bro, like, I love my wife more than anybody, like more than anybody else in the world. But for some reason, I just find myself treating her worse than other people. Like, she gets the worst of myself. She gets the brunt of all my negative stuff. And I thought about that. I go, you know, that's a good point. And it's true for most of us who are married. Is it not? Like, our husbands or our wives get the brunt of our worst side. They, they get the worst of us. But we love them more than everybody else. It's a conundrum in a sense. And I, I thought about that, and I go, well, why, why is that true? And it hit me. I go, you know what I think it is? I go, you know, I, I think that you being that way at home with your wife, you're that way at home with your wife because that's who you really are. You see, at the end of the day, we all walk outside, and we put on a little facade, and we know how to kind of get ourselves together for that eight-hour period we're at work. <laughs> or when we're going to church, we can put on the happy face. We know how to kind of make ourselves look fired up and make ourselves look happy and make sure that we're not, we're not the guy that's wearing it. You know, if you're really going through it, you're wearing it. And, and we, so we all have a little bit of a facade that we can put on. But who you are at home is who you really are. And here's the thing. It's not pretty. This is why sometimes whenever people get married, it just, like, freaks them out. Because their, their wife is not this, like, perfect angel that they dated. Or their husband's not, like, this perfect angel that they dated. You with me on that? Like, when you're dating, you see all the best things about the other person. Oh, Kurt. He's so awesome. <laughs> he doesn't sin. He's always considerate of my needs. Wow. I was like that with Kelly. I was like, whoa, Kelly, she's amazing. I can't find the fly anywhere. She's perfect. God's precious little angel. Why is she with me? Whoa, I'm going to be with my wife, Kelly, forever and ever and ever. Yeah, and then the wives get married and they go, whoa, who is this? I didn't sign up for this guy. 
Isn't that true? That's who you really are. And the same thing is true when you start becoming a part of the church. And you go, wow, these people are amazing. They come and hug me every Sunday morning. They ask me how I'm doing. They encourage me. They buy me coffee. They buy me food. And now I'm going to become a disciple. And then you start living in a brother's household. This brother, he done ate all my spaghetti, leftover spaghetti. He don't do his laundry. He stinks. He snores. And this is scary. This can be scary. You know what I mean? All those that are living in households right now are like, hey, amen. <laughs> I was getting upset somebody didn't do their dishes last night. But this is, this is why it can be scary sometimes. Because once you get to know people on that level, you see all the worst in them. And so some of us, naturally, we, 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 we shield ourselves from that. We don't want anybody to see the worst in us. And we don't want to see the worst in anybody else, and so we just don't let anybody in. We just stay in our little shell on Sundays, put up our facade. But here's the problem. When you do that, nobody gets to know who you are. They only know the, the you that you created, kind of like Facebook. You know how everybody's smiling on Facebook? They don't know you. They know the picture that you put up on Facebook, the facade you created. And inwardly, you know that they don't know you. And so you walk around going, like, oh, nobody really knows me. They say they love me, but if they only knew, if they only knew who I was, then they wouldn't love me. And so there's a distance and there's a weirdness that comes in because we're not open. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 6, the Bible says, if we, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. Yeah, I appreciate Sarah sharing. She goes, I wasn't fully open. I was scared. I said I was going to go to the grave with the things that were in my heart. And over time, God worked where she was able to have the courage to get open, share her true self. And now we know the real Sarah. You with me on that? You know, it's amazing. The Bible gives us this parable, and shortly after, we see this parable in some ways illustrated. Go to verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You, you should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy. I got it, Jesus. I did it. I passed the test. I followed every commandment perfectly. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You know, this, this young ruler, he thought the way to heaven was just to be better than everybody else. He's just going to earn it. He's just going to follow all the commandments perfectly. But he became deceived about who he was. He goes, I got it all together. I did it all. I've never murdered anybody. I'm good to go, Right? Jesus, because you still lack one thing. You know what's amazing? 
is she says, you still lack one thing. And I imagine that the rich young ruler was pretty curious as to what that one thing was. And what's the next thing Jesus says? Sell everything. <laughs> because you lack one thing. Just, just one thing. Just one thing. One thing. One. Everything. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And you know what's amazing? It's the same thing that a lot of us can lack when we're trying to follow God. One thing. And so if you're studying the Bible with you this morning, I just want to encourage you, you only lack one thing. Now, here's the, the challenge of that. It's everything. <laughs> it's everything. All you got to do is give up everything. Everything. And then you can follow Jesus. You see, the pathway to, perfe- or through, to, to heaven through perfection is unattainable. And so, therefore, the only other route is a pathway through Jesus. And to go through Jesus, you have to give up everything. It's not about perfection. It's about repenting and committing yourself to Jesus and walking with Jesus. And then and only then can God accomplish the impossible and work the miracle of salvation. In fact, going a little further in verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard this asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said, Jesus, we left all we had to follow you. You see the the insecurity in Peter right there? Like, hey, Jesus, like, this guy's pretty awesome. He's more moral than some of us are. (laughs) I mean, he's he's like never stole something from somebody before. I've stolen a couple. I mean, he's like way more righteous than me. We've left everything. Are we good? Jesus goes, truly, I tell you, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to take us fishing. And sometimes we get bored of fishing for fish, and there were, there were other things that we could do while we were fishing. And uh, there happened to be these, these black crabs. I, I grew up in Hawaii. This is not like down the street in or Lake Ontario right here. <laughs> and so there was, there was big old black crabs. And the way that you would catch these crabs is you would, you would go close to them, and they would go to their little holes. And we would take a little frond from a coconut tree, and it was just a little branch, and we'd shred off all the, the green part, and it was just this little tiny thin stick that you could turn into like a loop. And, and we'd make a little loop out of it, and so it was like this firm stick with a little loop on the end of it, and we'd stick it down into the hole, and the crab would just think it's being attacked, and so it would latch onto that little stick. And then we would pull it out of its hole, and it wouldn't let go. And so we'd pull it out, and then we had a, a crab, fresh crab. Throw that thing on some fire, you got yourself a little meal right there, baby. It was awesome. And I remember thinking, man, what a, what a stupid crap. I mean, they, they don't have big brains. I mean, their eyes like. But what a stupid crap. I mean, it's just all it has to do is let go. Let go. But what are you holding on to? What, what, what is something that you're not let, willing to let go of? What a stupid crap! But then there we are, holding on to the world instead of letting go and trusting in God. See, God, 
collected the sick. Jesus collected the sinful. And finally, actually our third point, collecting the short. I've got four points. Luke, four, Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 1. Collecting the short. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He was a chief tax collector. This guy was like wicked. He was like the main wicked guy in a bunch of wicked gods. Like he was a leader of wickedness. He, was, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Him and Delin? <laughs> Don't worry. That's right, bro. Jesus came to collect the stort. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed them gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said, On today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't this an awesome scripture? You know, here Jesus is coming through town, and there was a guy who really wanted to see Jesus, but he was vertically challenged. <laughs> he was vertically challenged. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so the Bible says that he made it happen. He climbed a sycamore fig tree so that he could see Jesus. You know, you, you got to appreciate Zacchaeus's initiative. He, he didn't let his circumstances become an excuse for him. He made it happen. He wanted to see Jesus. And if he didn't get up there on the tree, then Jesus wouldn't have seen him. And Jesus would have not gone to his house for dinner. And Jesus would not have been able to help Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus went after Jesus. You know, I appreciate Javier Gutierrez. A little less than a year ago, Javier wanted to come to church. And so he was looking at our church online. He goes, okay, I'm going to go check it out. And he showed up to this spot. Problem was that we were not here. <laughs> we were in the park. We were having a park service. And so he got here and he was excited about church and there was nobody here. And at that point he was tempted to go home because he had tried his best to go to church and it didn't happen. But he said, no, I, I need to go to church. And so he got online. He saw the phone number. He called me right before church started at the park. I go, oh, I'm so sorry. We forgot to change the address on our website for this service, but we're actually meeting in the park. And instead of going home, he made his way to the park, and it was at that service that he got linked up with Rich and with Will. And, and uh, weeks later, he was able to get baptized into Christ. You would be on that? Here's the thing. Where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, where there's will, there's way too. But where there's a will, there's a way. If you've got a heart to follow Jesus, you'll make it happen. You'll figure it out. Your circumstance can't be your excuse. 1 Corinthians 7, 17, the Bible says that God has assigned each person his situation. And there's a way to be a disciple in each and every situation. 
It's not an excuse. You know, we all got my situation. I don't know because I got this going on, or I don't know because I got that going on, and this boss and that boss, and you don't know my professor. You don't know my situation. But God knows your situation. You can be a short guy. Make it happen. And that's what Zacchaeus did. I, I love when people go, well, you know, what if, you know, this whole baptism thing, what if you're like on the way getting baptized? Or let's just say that you take a rocket ship up to the moon and you want to become a disciple. You want to become a Christian, but you're on the moon and there's no water. How could I become a disciple if baptism is required? Well, newsflash, if there's no water with you on the moon, you're dead. And somehow I imagine that if you're going to the moon, you'd have to take enough water to last you for weeks. And maybe you can convince the other astronauts to make a little pool of water and get yourself baptized if that's really your situation. You with me on that? At the end of the day, you'll make it happen if you want to follow Jesus. I appreciate Cornelius. They had a, they had a Bible study scheduled a Wednesday night at midnight. And it was a Zoom study, but he didn't know that. So he showed up at Isaiah's house at 12 a.m. in the morning to do a Bible study. Now, Isaiah was a little shocked. He was like, I wasn't prepared for this. But, hey, you know what? That's the right heart. You'll make it happen. You know, I think that that's true for us when we're becoming a disciple, that we need to do anything and everything to make it happen. But I want to challenge us as disciples. Do you have that same tenacity and that same heart to make it happen for other people? You know, I appreciate the heart of Zacchaeus. The Bible says that he goes, you know what, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay back five or four times the amount I've taken. This was not Jesus asking him. He did this on his own initiative. And it's interesting because if you look back at Numbers 5, 7, you don't have to turn there. But according to Jewish law, if you wrong or cheat someone, you were supposed to pay back the amount that you cheated them of plus one-fifth in addition to that. Zacchaeus goes, I'll give back four, four times the amount. In other words, Zacchaeus was giving up a 20 times missions contribution. Well, imagine that. Isn't that crazy? A 20 times missions contribution. And what do you know? It just so happens to be that as a church, we're collecting a 20 times missions contribution. Isn't that incredible? But I could ask, do you make it happen? I don't know, bro. Finances are tight. I just can't do it. Is that, is that your go-to? I just can't do it. I don't have the money. Or is your go-to? I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to find a way. Because Cornelius is worth it. Because Sia is worth it. Because Anjola is worth it. Because everybody is worth it. Because Kadisha is worth it too. <laughs> she, felt, she felt left out right there. Come on, Kadisha. You know, I want to challenge our new Christians. Go to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. I'm almost finished. In verse 24, after Jesus and his disciples arrived at Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, don't, don't just listen to your teacher pay the temple tax. 
Yes, he does, he replied. Jesus paid his taxes. Amen. When Peter came to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. Who, what, what do you think, Simon, he asked? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty or taxes, from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. In other words, hey, I can, I can create money out of thin air. You're a child of God. I can provide for you. But we don't have to worry about all these worldly taxes. Not that he didn't pay his taxes. We already established that. Don't use this as a justification for not paying the CRA. <laughs> Look, I'm a child of God. I don't need to be paying no taxes to no government. No, that, that was not Jesus' heart. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the, to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. You know, we can learn a lot about Jesus' ministry from this one passage. Number one, you, you can learn that Peter was the only disciple of Jesus' that was not a team. How do we know that? Because back in Exodus 30, you would only tax, the temple tax would only be applied to people that were over 20 years old. And, and Peter and Jesus were the only disciples that paid the temple tax. And so thus, most scholars believe that all of the other disciples were below the age of 20. They were in the teen ministry, or they had just started in the campus ministry. You with me on that? You know what else you can learn about Jesus' ministry right here? They never had any money. He, 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 didn't even, he didn't even have enough money to pay the temple tax. That, that was cool. He goes, don't worry about it. Hey, Peter, just go throw some, throw some line in the water, catch a fish, and the first fish will give you everything you need. You, you just, you'll have a nice four drachma coin in his mouth. You know, notice he didn't give him, like, extra. It's just enough for the taxes. If I was Peter, I'd be like, bro, what if I catch a second fish? Like, can you put more in his mouth, Jesus? I would really like to go out for some bubble tea or some osmos. Well, what's the point? The money that they needed came from the new fish. We've got some new fishes as disciples. <laughs> with me? And I think that some of us new fishes as disciples need to understand what has been sacrificed to even allow you to become a disciple. You know, I look back on the missions contributions that we've collected since I've been here in 2017. In total, they add up to 147 times our weekly contribution. Now, granted, when we first got here, our group was very small, and we had very little to give, and so we multiply that out. It's a smaller number, but in total, 147 times. That's what's been sacrificed so that you could find the truth. And so do you have the same heart to sacrifice so that more fish can be caught and that more people can be won? You see, Jesus collected the sick. He collected the sinful. He collected the short even when they fell short in their taxes. Finally, Jesus collected the sold out. Let's close out in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Sure you do. 
You aren't swayed by others? Because you pay no attention to who they are? Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin you used to pay for the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked, whose image is on this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to him, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. I mean, don't you just love? I love Jesus. Jesus always said the best thing. Like, he didn't just say, like, you know, a good response. He said the best thing. Like, he shut it down. I mean, here they were, these Pharisees, and uh, along with some Herodian Jews, coming and try to trap Jesus. Hey, do you really believe in the imperial tax? This is a challenging question for Jesus to feel. If he said yes, the Pharisees would be upset because they viewed it as sacrilegious for God's people to pay taxes to a heathen authority. But if he said no, he didn't believe in that, then the Herodian Jews would have been upset, and they would have surely gone back to, to the Roman government and reported, them, uh, port, port, reported to them about Jesus not being willing to pay taxes. And Jesus would have been in trouble. And so what does Jesus do? He goes, hey, just shoot me a coin. Whose face is on that coin? Oh, it's Caesar's. He goes, okay, then well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now here's the tricky part of what Jesus says. What is God's? Everything. Everything. You know, at this time, when someone said Jesus is Lord, it meant something. Because they would say that Jesus is Lord at a time when everybody else was saying that Caesar was Lord. And they would say, Jesus is Lord. And they would say this in, a, in front of a, other people that were there watching them. Says, and they would say that, that I'm no longer going to submit to a worldly kingship. I'm no longer going to be the king of my own life. But Jesus is Lord. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I lied. i got to confess. i got one more scripture. 1 Timothy 6. We'll close here. 1 Timothy 6. Y'all want to see everybody get baptized. I know. First Timothy 6 and verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you. To keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is alone, immortal, and who lives in an approachable light, whom no one has seen or can't see, to him be honor and might forever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus made his good confession. In front of Pontius Pilate. And today when Cornelius, when Sia, when Kedisha, when Anjola make their good confession, it means something. Because they're no longer going to be the Lord of their own life. They're not going to let worldly authorities be the Lord of their life. But they're giving their life over to Jesus. And so this morning, in this tax season, let us think that Jesus collected the sick. 
He collected the sinful. He collected the short. And ultimately, he collected those that were sold out. That you don't have to be healthy. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be tall. You don't have to have it all together. You just got to be choosing to be sold out. Jesus was not a tax collector. But he was the collector of tax collectors. Let us be like those tax collectors. And not only will God collect you here on earth into his incredible kingdom on earth, but he will come back and collect you into his incredible kingdom in heaven. And to God be all the glory.